Would you please stand for the reading of scripture? This morning's passage is from Mark 10, verse 32 through 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. You may be seated. God said, let there be light. And there was light, lots of light. Wow. Bright in here. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word this morning. Uh, we ask that you would please speak to us. Um, help us not to be uh, distracted this morning, uh, but to focus on uh, the word that you prepared for all of us to hear. Um, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts, Lord, that are renewed by your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think about um, the ways people tend to talk about painful experiences. Okay, so how do people talk about when a, a painful experience happens, how do people usually talk about it? Uh, if somebody has had an unwanted breakup, for example, um, they might say something like, well, wasn't really a good relationship for me anyway. Right? Or, yeah, we broke up, but I learned a lot from this experience, right? So it's like, it's kind of bad, but no, it was actually really good. You know, it's like there's this uh, disconnect there from the pain. And, and I think people rationalize the problem away. They try to make something sound like a good thing when in fact it's a bad thing. And, and people use this as sort of a strategy not to accept the bad thing. Um, they try to, uh, they might say everything happens for a reason, and, and it's a way of avoiding uh, pain or, or grief and, and looking at it in the face. And it's, it ignores the fact that we are powerless to change some things that happen in our lives. 
And so in uh, contrast to this way of looking at the world this morning, I want you to embrace the way of Jesus, which is the way of the cross. It is so contrary to this way of looking at the world. And I want you to see how Jesus tells us to accept the difficult thing instead of immediately jumping to fix-it mode or um, make-it-better mode or um, capitalize on the situation mode. Uh, because Jesus, right, he contradicts the assumptions that we normally have about life, that God's not most present in our strengths, right, and our successes and our um, uh, best, uh, uh, what we like best about ourselves. Instead, God's present and working, right, when things are not necessarily going smoothly, when a person might be falling apart, and maybe where a person is finding their limits rather than their limitless possibility, possibilities, right? Like, if you just believe, anything can happen. Um, the message of Disney. Um, so why did Jesus have to die? That's the first thing I want us to consider this morning uh, from, our, from our passage. Because here, uh, Jesus, he, he gives his, his final and um, a third but it's, a, it's the most detailed prediction about his trial, his suffering, his death um, uh, on, on the cross and, and, and his resurrection. And it's the first time he mentions Jerusalem as the actual place where this is going to happen. So I want to read verse 32, if you're following along in your Bibles or you can look behind me. And they were on the road <clears throat> going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was, happen, what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Christianity's defining symbol, right, is the cross where Jesus suffered and died, where he's crucified. That's, that's the climax of his ministry. And at the center of this religion of hope and joy and peace and love, right, is suffering and death. It's pretty morbid. And pain and failure. Um, and I want to tell you something. This, this paradox, right, is absolutely central to the meaning of the Christian faith. Um, Jesus' death was not an accident. That's what we learn right, right, right here, right in front of us. Verse 32 opens up. Right? It was not an accident that Jesus went to a cross to die. Um, he knew what he was doing. It was not incidental. Um, he purposed from the very beginning to go to the cross as part of his mission. And so, it, but in our, in our passage this morning, right, we learn not only that Jesus is going to die, but why, why must he die, right? Why is it that he has to go to a cross? I want to look at the last verse in our passage, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So at the heart of Christianity is this, this God who basically says, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to pour myself out for you, I'm going to love you, 
And then at the end of, of my service and love for you, I'm going to lay down my life and die for you. That's what I'm going to do for you. This makes Jesus so different from every other major world religion, right? Any other founder. I mean, just thinking of a couple founders, you think of Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism. How did he die? Anybody know? Mob killed him. Okay. Um, Prophet Muhammad, how did he die? Founder of Islam. He died of an illness. Uh, Buddha, he died of food poisoning. None of these men, right, they purpose to actually go to a cross to suffer and die for their own people so that their own people might live. Jesus did that. And so when Jesus says, um, I did not come, he's referring to the fact that he existed before he was on this earth. And he came into this world. He assumed a true human nature, not to exercise his God-given right, right, to, to be glorified right away and to be served, but to serve and to give of himself to give his life as a ransom for many. That last part, right, as a, as a, to give his life as a ransom for many, that tells us exactly the reason why he had to die, why Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die because we are slaves of sin. Uh, the word for here is a preposition that means instead of or in place of. That's a word that captures this idea of a substitute. Now, uh, I know that there's some sports fans here, but even if you're not a sports fan, maybe you have a child or you had a child at one point who was on a sports team. And what happens when a player gets injured or a player gets really fatigued and is so tired, what happens? They usually what? Sub out, right? They sub substitute player and the sub comes in. So we understand what substitute means, but what does ransom mean? I don't know why, but I think of like, you know, guys uh, asking for, for money after kidnapping uh, the daughter of Liam Neeson, and Liam Neeson just, like, going after them. You don't want to mess with that guy, right? Um, I think there was also, Mel, for some reason, Mel Gibson rings a bell. I think there was a movie with Ransom with him. That's usually our ideas. That's, like, old school. That's like a long time ago, so um, I should have probably checked that reference. But, um, but Ransom here, right, it, it comes from the Greek word lutron. And uh, it means to set someone free from captivity or slavery. It is um, the, the means or the instrument by which release is made possible. And so how does Jesus say he's going to ransom the many? How? By what? By giving his life, right, by giving his life. So we have a substitutionary sacrifice here <coughs> as the reason given my cough sounds way worse than it is, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. It's only pneumonia, I think. Anyways. All right. So the only way to pay this is by Jesus going to a cross. Now, some of you might really struggle with the idea of a God who pours out his wrath, his anger on his own son. Um, maybe it reeks of child sacrifice and masochism. Now, I've read Christopher Hitchens. I know those arguments. I understand. So I understand where you're coming from if that's where you're at. And, and so a lot of people, though, they, they think that um, because of this message, the central message of the cross that Christianity teaches, that it is so similar to um, ancient pagan, pagan notions of this bloodthirsty deity, this bloodthirsty God, 
um, as portrayed in ancient literature. The God of the Bible, though, is so different from a bloodthirsty God. I want to say why. Right? Jesus didn't have to die to make God love you. Jesus had to die because God loves you, and that is the difference. Right? Um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes you'll see that on Sunday football, right? Behind the goalpost, John 3.16. Um, but isn't Jesus' sacrifice, um, substitutionary sacrifice for you, really the best kind of picture of true love? I mean, can you think of a better image, a better way for him to do this? Um, I think it's the best kind of news to know that there's someone who loves you so much that they put everything on the line for you, that they sacrifice their all for you. I mean, that's, that's, that's what makes, like, the romantic movies actually interesting. Like, I can actually get through a romantic movie if, you know, if the guy gives up everything for the girl, and you're like, oh, okay, so great. Like, you know, made it, like, worth it to the end of that movie, and I rarely try to watch those movies. Sorry, G. Um, but, it, you know, it makes it good to watch. Um, or in Frozen, right, when Anna... Um, she's about to freeze to death, and Hans, uh, her crazy ex-fiance or whatever, um, is you know swinging the sword, and it's coming down hard onto uh, Elsa, her sister, and it's about to smash. And Anna, Anna goes up, and she, she's like f about to freeze, and she literally is the name of the movie. She's frozen all of a sudden, right? But she stops the she stops the blade from coming down and killing her sister, and she sacrifices herself for her sister, which is true love. And man, I'll tell you what, even as a boy dad, that'll make somebody want to cry. I'm not crying, you're crying, okay? <laughs> not crying. Maybe cried a little bit. Um, or Harry Potter, right? Uh, I cried for that one, for sure. In the last and final battle against Voldemort, right, he decides to turn himself over, turn himself in, because he doesn't want all of his friends to die, right? Substitutionary sacrifice, again, we see that. Or um, Rogue One, huh? Rogue One, anybody? Yeah, they sacrifice themselves so the plans to destroy the Death Star can finally get into the hands of the rebels. Go, rebels! Yeah, rebel scum, right? I mean, we love these stories. Um, and uh, there are closer-to-home examples. I know um, some of you are like, oh, pastors in their movies. Man, they just really love their movies um, and books and all that. But uh, not just, we don't have to go there. We can think closer-to-home. Parents, right? Parents. Anyone who has kids knows that children are always in need. Man, they are, right? They're so needy. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Well, that I means, just say it, amen. They're needy. Amen. All right. I mean, they can't make it on their own, right? They need us to eat and drink and sleep and go potty and, uh, and, and you know, go to school. And even up till they're like 18, right? I mean, it's not even just like when they're kids and diapers and stuff. Like, they're in diapers till they're 30 now. This is California, you know. Um, this is just how it is. And, and, and so, um, and, you know, until they can get past the adulting phase and they grow up and they're finally adults, right, like that's, that, and they're finally there, um, they need help, right? They, they're dependent. And, and, and what happens, right, if we don't care for our kids, right, we neglect our responsibilities as parents, who has to pay for that, right? They do. And, and society does. So if we don't make the sacrifice, somebody else has to make the sacrifice. So again, right, we see substitutionary sacrifice, right? We have to give up our dependence 
for 18 years or 30 years in order to, um, to um, help our kids. And so if, if all of this is true, right, with, with parenting or, or in, in the best um, romantic movies or the best Star Wars movies, now it's actually not my favorite Star Wars movie, I don't think. Rogue One isn't, I'm just saying. I don't think it is. It's pretty good because um, everybody dies pretty much, so if you didn't know that. Anyways, okay. Um, sorry, spoiler. Um, it's an old movie. You should have seen it by now. It's not my fault. Um, so if, if that's true, though, right, in literature and the arts, and, and it, 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 these are so, such beautiful pictures, right, of true love being shown and demonstrated by sacrifice, then doesn't it make sense that a God who is infinitely more loving would make the ultimate sacrifice to mend what is broken and what is messed up and what is so wrong in this world. If there's evil in this world and the very people God made became sinful, and we all know that sin and evil has to be dealt with, with, uh, nobody wants to live in a world, right, where justice does not exist. Nobody really wants that kind of world. Um, crime and evil and sin, they have to be punished. They have to be paid for by somebody. And so if that's true in the real world, of course it's true. God cannot forgive apart from debts being paid. And, and God's not a bloodthirsty deity. He's a loving God, so loving that he died in order to save us himself. A bloodthirsty God would never do that. Never. There's no religion in the whole world that has God coming to pay for sin and evil and death himself. But that's the Christian message. So Jesus had to die so that we could be forgiven. He died because God loves you. Now, so we know why Jesus had to die. Um, Now I want us to turn and think about what it means. For those of us who want to follow Jesus in the way of the cross, what does it mean for our discipleship? Um, we can look by looking at the disciples here um, every time so far that Jesus has brought up the way of the cross his disciples respond in what kind of way do you think ways that are the way of the cross or ways that are contrary to the way of the cross A or B B yeah yeah ways contrary so chapter 8 right that was the first prediction that was Peter. What happened with Peter? Anybody know? He, yeah, he rebuked Jesus. Jesus rebukes him back. That went south. So second prediction, chapter 9, we, 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 we um, went through. Disciples asked Jesus, which one of them is the greatest, right? Which one of us, which is the greatest, Jesus? Pick one. And Jesus turns that, that around and says, um, whoever wants to be first must be last and least of all, right? Servant of all. And so now for a third time, we would think that they would get this message, right? They would get it through their stubborn, thick heads. Like, come on, teenager. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, you, you got this. Like, you should know better. But right, they don't. How do they respond? Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come up, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I think I heard somebody chuckle when the scripture read it. Yeah, that you, you were right to chuckle. Um, can you imagine starting your prayers out like this to God? Dear God, I want you to do what I want, right? 
I mean, yeah, even like, can you imagine doing that in your marriage? Or like doing, like, how does that work? You're like, I want you to do what I want. Like, you're not going to get your way, man. It's just not, uh, anyways. So I, I try not to use my kids as sermon illustrations. I really try not to. Uh, but I have to say this one. Um, how James and John, how they approach Jesus here is not so different from how I've heard my kids praying at night when they're first learning how to pray. Um, usually ages three through five. I don't think it's just my kids. I think this is like all kids. Um, ages three through five, right? Um, they, they usually approach God asking, you know, God, I want you to do whatever um, I want you to do for me. And so they might pray something like, um, dear God, I, I pray for, you know, good sleep tonight. And I pray for all the fire trucks in the world tomorrow. And Lord, I pray that we can go to Disneyland and Legoland. And Nona can take us to Chuck E. Cheese. And that we can stay up really, really late tomorrow and not have to go to bed early. And we can watch, you know, Pokemon. And like, it's like endless, right? All these wants, I want, I want. And that we can get M&Ms and popcorn. You know, in Jesus' name, amen, right? <laughs> And it's like, seal the deal, like, okay, it's going to happen. But, I mean, you expect that, right, through, from three, four, five-year-olds. But, but from, like, 30 to 40-year-olds, like James and John, you're, you're going, dude, you should know better by now. Like, you should know. Um, but they're still praying like children, right? And, of course, Jesus is so patient. I would not be this patient. I would not be this gracious towards them in this moment, right? He responds, though. What does he say? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, such a servant mindset, right? Such a humble attitude. Um, I mean, the ultimate servant here, the one who leads by serving, asks, how can I help? He doesn't say, how dare do you talk to me this way? Um, I'm your master, you're my servant, right? I mean, he doesn't belittle them. He just says, what do you want? In verse 37, they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. Now, what do you think they're thinking of when they say in your glory? What's that? Earthly kingdom. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good guess. I think I'll stick with that one. Um, yeah, probably an earthly kingdom. Probably when uh, the king ascends the throne and, you know, Rome, the enemies of, of the Jews are all conquered, like Rome. And, um, and of course, you know, when, when, you, when you're ruling a kingdom, you need your right hand and left hand man, you know. Like, so they're going, sign me up, Jesus. I want to be on your cabinet. I want to be making the, the, those decisions with you. I want to be your chief advisor. And, and what's so ironic about this request is, when was the moment Jesus was in his glory, according to the scriptures? When is that moment when God's love is most plainly demonstrated? On the cross, where Jesus died. And so James and John, right, they're right about one thing, that Jesus, of course, would need somebody to hang on his right and on his left. But they did not know what they were asking for. The ones hanging on his right and his left were criminals being executed on a Roman cross along with Jesus. So Jesus says to them, you have no clue what you're asking. I mean, they're so sucked in by the glory story, right? They're so captured by it that they, they completely ignore what he says about his passion. And I mean, this is the third time now he said it. 
that I'm going to die. Guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You know? And they just don't get it. Um, and, and there was a cup to drink that Jesus talks about and baptism to come. And, and both of these terms are loaded with suffering. Right? They, are, they are terms that Jews would have heard and gone, okay, back to the Old Testament. Okay, when cup is talked about, that's, that's referring to God's judgment of evil, right? His wrath being poured out on, on, on um, evil. And, and especially right, in the context of, of what Jesus had just said about a ransom, about substitutionary sacrifice, right? This means that he's saying, I'm going to buy your ransom, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to drink the cup of wrath that you deserve, and I'm going to enter the baptism of death that you deserve so that you will not be condemned, so that you will not be judged. That's what I'm going to do for you. And they don't get it. And so Jesus says, verse 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? And this is the part that I just find so comical, right? They say, we are able, you know? Yes, we're able. It's like, dude, you don't get it. Uh, It's not just James and John, though, who get discipleship all wrong. Who else... Who else does not get it? There are 12 disciples. James and John are two of them. So how many other people don't get it? Any mathematicians here? Ten. All right. One person. All right. I'm not, I went to seminary. I, I don't know math. So, um, Yeah, ten, ten, uh, ten disciples who are also stubborn and they don't get it. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant. It's a strong word at James and John. Why are they so upset? Well, it's not for good reason. It's, it's because James and John seized the moment and they were the first, right, to re- make the request to ask Jesus, we want to sit at your right and your left side, you know. We want to be your, your top um, henchmen. We want to be your chief advisors, and so they're jealous, right? They're envious. And so that's, that's why Jesus begins to teach these thick-headed disciples once again about the way of the cross. And so he goes, verse 42, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Right. How do the, the Gentiles or the unbelievers lead? Um, they, they, they throw their weight around. Um, that's what it means to, to lord it over. And, and they play the tyrant. That's what it means to exercise authority. Using the trump card to get your way. But the, the way of the cross is, is radically different. It's upside down. It's topsy-turvy. And so if you want to be the greatest and the first, you must become least and you must become last. If you want to be the best leader, right, you must be the best servant. True discipleship's letting go of our claim to fame in this world in order to give honor and glory to other people. Because Jesus had to die in the way that he died, right, that's the way that he set forward for his disciples, too. So if we're to be his disciples, it means that we're to live lives of service and death, right? Daily dying to ourselves 
to serve and love our neighbor as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse 45 again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here in this verse is a quotation. It's a quotation of an Old Testament um, section, passage in, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus is identifying himself as the servant, right? The servant songs is, is what this section in Isaiah is called. And, and here he's saying that he is the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53, which we heard in our call to worship. And um, I want to read verses 10 through 12 for you. If you want to turn there, you can in your Bibles. If you want to write it down for later study, go for it. Um, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall, be he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. See the substitution? And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And, he, and yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right, the, the original mission to bring the light of the world to the nations was originally given to the people of Israel, and they, they failed. Right? They did not do it. They were just, mm, they did not do a good job. <coughs> and so they were a disobedient people. And so Jesus came as the true and the better Israel, who came to fulfill this original mission and to bring the light to the nations by suffering and by dying. The question that we have before all of us this morning is can you see, right, or can you hear the way of the cross? <clears throat> 